0: Ladies and gentlemen, can you believe it? season four of Chewing the Gristle, the greatest podcast that ever was? Well, that might be bold, but I like it. What is Chewing the Gristle? Well, doggone it, we've got a whole bunch of internationally renowned musical guests, mostly guitar players, I believe. (laughs) Not that other people who play other instruments aren't musicians as well. We're a little biased towards the six-stringed variety around here. Brought to you by our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, where, of course, I've been doing videos for over 10 years. They have so many guitars that'll tempt your mind, body, and soul, you better be careful. And our friends at Fishman Transducers, bringing you state of the art accoutrements for amplifying your acoustic instruments to sound the best they possibly can. Doggone it. And let's face it, their Fluence guitar pickups, especially those with the Gristletone moniker, are ass Kicking. Let's get to it. Season four, chewing the Gristle. We ride. This week, we're gonna chew that dog on Gristle once again with a legendary soul. Can you imagine your first gig being with Frank Zappa as a young man? But this guy did. Mike Keneally, ladies and gentlemen, you've seen him with Beer for Dolphins. He's played with Satriani, Vi, you name it, every prog rock incarnation I think known to man or beast. Just a magnificent musician in general, songwriter, and hell of a cool cat. This week, we're Chewing the Gristle with Mike Keneally. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, season four of Chewing the Gristle now in full swing. We have the majestic human known as Mike Keneally with us today. Musician par excellence, hell of a nice fella. We just spent... Some glorious time together at Paul Gilbert's Great Guitar Escape, and uh, I marveled at his musicality, and I reveled in his convivial fellowship. And here we are, engaging in cyber fellowship. Of course, you know Mike from any number of different things. He was in Zappa's band at a very young age, multiple projects on his own. You've seen him on stage with Steve Vai and all kinds of various complex musician luminaries. Shall we say And uh, I'm just pleased to sponsor you joining us today. How the
1: heck are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm getting in gear on a Monday morning just like looking at the week ahead and this is uh, just a, a, a glittering way to get things kicked off for me so thank you for asking me to participate
0: I'm Well moving. thank you for joining us. Now remind me again, you just moved to a new a new environment. Where are you
1: now as we speak? I'm in the, the northeast part of, uh, of Arizona up in the mountains. So it's not what people normally envision when they think about Arizona, including myself. For for years, various relatives were trying to get me interested in moving to Arizona, and I was uh, was running shrieking in the other direction because of the the heat in which I do, I do not thrive. But up here, it's routinely thirty degrees cooler than it is down in Phoenix, and and uh, and uh, I feel very comfortable and and. Uh, Free because uh, the nearest neighbor uh, cannot be seen. Uh, nice. <laughs> uh, so uh, you know, I've, after years of uh, sharing walls in California, which was the the only way to uh, afford to live there, uh, it's it's now nice to uh, to feel not not isolated in a uh, in a in a frightening sad way, but isolated in in a freeing, liberating way, and and uh, and I'm very happy here. Excellent. I don't know if I
0: conveyed my story to you while we were out in California about how I came to realize that there were non-desert parts of Arizona. But we did a, uh, right before COVID hit in uh, January of uh, 2020, uh, we decided that we would route the band out to Southern California to coincide with the NAMM show. And so uh, I have my minivan my mighty Honda Odyssey, I like to refer to it as the Cadillac of minivans, if you will. And I was outfitted with snow tires, as we do up here in Wisconsin, always a good idea. Uh, and I thought, well, I'll keep them on in case I run into any grief as I go south, because our, our goal was to go south through Oklahoma. And then, you know, once I got into Texas and New Mexico and so on and so forth, I thought I'd be home free. And sure enough, we got, we got down south, no trouble whatsoever, get into Texas, get into we get into New Mexico, it's starting to get night. And I'm like, "What is? what am I seeing? And I'm like, it's snow. <laughs> and, and then once we got into Arizona, uh, whatever Google Maps or whatever we were taking, led us through this pretty rustic path through the, the mountains uh, or the whatever, the, the high country, if you will, above Phoenix. And it was some of the most treacherous snow driving I have done In my life, I was just white knuckling it, and I was like, "You got to be kidding me!" I spent all this time fearing about how I might get down to this area, and figured we were home free. And now this Shiza is the worst that I've experienced. But luckily, because I knew how to drive in snow and we had um, snow tires, we were good. But the 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 roadsides were just littered with vehicles. Uh, Yeah, it it was it was uh, it was petrifying. But you did uh, not see it coming. I did not see it coming at all.
1: Mark Lindsay tried to warn you about Arizona, but you, you just wouldn't listen. <laughs> Indeed,
0: Lord have mercy. So let's talk about uh, just what you've been up to lately and what's what's coming up. I know you you involve yourself in all manner of uh, of glorious musical pursuits. What is your what is your current thing that you're working
1: on? There's, uh, there's sort of the three things currently happening. Well, I guess there for one is the uh the album that i've been it, it, everyone's got a pandemic album and this is mine um, <laughs> so this this was the one that was started prior to lockdown but definitely uh it worked on uh by myself uh during that period where everybody needed to find something to keep themselves occupied and uh and that's coming out uh late this year and that's my first solo album in six years or more uh, I kind of intentionally, willfully took a break from album making because I've, you know, I've got a, a stack of solo albums that high, and uh, I right. thought that I felt that I could leave a little space before adding to the stack, and, and but now it's time to start piling them up again. Uh, so that'll that'll be up this year. Uh, in terms of the live action, uh, I've been playing with two bands primarily. Uh, one is the Zappa Band, which is uh, primarily made up of other guys who played with uh, Ray White and Robert Monscott, but also including Jamie Time and Joe Travers. And last year, the, the first live playing, that, at least the live touring that we did post-lockdown was we opened for, for King Crimson uh, just, just about a year ago. And uh, this year, we finally did a headline tour and... In late October, uh, we're doing four nights at the, the Big Potato in in Hollywood, uh, culminating on Halloween, which is always a very special Zappa night. So, uh, four nights of the Zappa band in, at the Big Potato coming up. And uh, the other band that I toured with this year is uh, is called Project, which is uh, the brainchild of Jonathan Mover, a, a drummer who played with. Uh, Satriani and GTR and Maria and bunches of other people. And uh, Ryo Okamoto, who's the keyboardist from Spock's Beard, and they uh, sort of cooked up this idea of a, of a band uh, for one of supergroup that would go out and uh, and play uh, an entirely repertoire that's, that's drawn from classic progressive rock of the 1970s. So, you know, we're talking. Yes, and Genesis and Gentle Giant, and King Crimson, and Palmer, and Ritala, and all of that, and that's all stuff that we all grew up loving. And when Jonathan asked me to join, uh, I was a little bit shocked. To, this was the music that was like formed the bedrock of my musical education uh, when I was a teenager. I've I scarcely played any of it live, and so we went out uh, for a month earlier this year. Uh, to to test the waters, so to speak, and had so much fun playing that stuff. And audiences were so receptive, and uh, and so we're very excited and eager to do more. And uh, we're we're playing uh, in the Chicago area in in Chicago in uh, October, and then uh, from that, I think actually September thirtieth at the Arcadia Theater. Um, and then uh, october 7th i believe we we're, we're headlining the final night of a of a, a festival of Prague Stock in new jersey ah. um, and we've got uh, other dates that are happening this year that are in the works that haven't been announced yet and i'm not exactly sure when and where they are but we'll we'll find out and those will be announced on uh on projects.com and then uh beer for dolphins my band uh is going to take a spin around the west coast in january um uh, with the travis larson band opening and oh travis travis is a good man yes he surely is wonderful guy wonderful player whole band is fantastic um and so we are just now putting that together. So those are that's the primary uh, touring activity, and then with my album coming out, and also more Devin Townsend stuff on the horizon because I started oh yes working with him a few years ago, uh, co produced co produced his album Empath, and then did a couple of tours with him. We had a, a forced break during the during the pandemic, and and uh, and next year it looks like uh, I'll be doing more stuff with him. So that's as far as I know, everything on the horizon.
0: Excellent. Well, that's quite, a, quite an itinerary. And A couple of things came to mind that I wanted to ask you about in terms of, you know, you've got all this material. And I, I know it for, you know, in my own world, you know, when you've got these records that you go back and like, oh, I forgot about this and oh, I forgot about this. Oh, this is kind of a cool tune and maybe I should do this. And then you realize I've got all this other stuff that's demoed out and ready to go and realize you have all these potential records in the can. Uh, what is your perspective on the fact that, you know, music is just digested in such a different way these days and, and so many, um, so many fans find you from so many different ways. Right. And, and, and yet there doesn't seem to be, and this isn't a knock on humans because we're all, you know, we have a million different things tugging at us and interests and priorities and so on and so forth. You're all beautifully flawed. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, that there sometimes I just find it odd that they're not a fan might be into one aspect of what you do and not realize that you have all of this other stuff. So at one point, do you ever get to the point where it's like, maybe I just need to stop for a moment and try to honor this whole back catalog and try to get that at least in some way, shape and form um, to the people that might be interested in it. Cause that's like a full-time job. It's, it's almost like, yeah, okay well that's, there's all this stuff that I did there's all the stuff I'm writing now there's all these things I want to do uh, but a- as the arbiter of your own pr- or, uh, of your own career and we're all at this point in that mold where we don't have people if you will kind of cherry-picking our careers and and trying to get making sure that all these things are serviced accordingly how do you in your mind um Kind of differentiate all of that and, and and try to think. Well, I need to honor this period, particular period, because this stuff this stuff didn't get a fair shake. You know what I mean? Maybe I should bring that kind. Of, and then at the same token, how much of that stuff do you consider as works in progress? Of like, yeah, I did it that way then, but now I'm going to do it this way, and maybe I'd like to readdress that whole period in a in a new light. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I do. It's. I mean, that, that's a multi-layered, uh, many-levelled question that that you know put about five or six different thoughts in my head. So I'll see if I can remember them all. Um, the uh, the when I decided a few years ago to st- uh, to take a break from making albums, it was it was largely as a result of of thought processes along those lines. I had a large body of work that relatively few people know about, and and I thought maybe part of the reason why it's difficult for people to kind of get their uh, their brains around it is is that it is so vast and 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 i i know that i'm not an easily categorizable musician and that any one album might not bear very much resemblance to any other album in the catalog and and that can be puzzling for people um for the people who are already inclined to like what i do i think they like that aspect of it cuz i you know i remember when I was a kid and there was a new Zappa album or there was a new, uh, Todd Mungren album or any, you know, number of sort of mercurial artists that, that you couldn't really predict what was coming around the corner, the Beatles for that, you know, it, 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 every album had a very distinct character and, it, and you could recognize it as the, as the work of, of the artist who had done the earlier stuff, but it definitely had a, a personality of its own. And I, I love that, um, but but I it, it, there was also kind of the the feeling that I, I was I wanted to just like stop making new music and allow the music that I've already made to maybe accrue a bit more attention. But the reality of life is um, what. What pays the bills is very frequently, uh, you know, for a certain type of jobbing musician, it's not their own work. It's not their own compositions. It's, it's, it's a necessity just because of the way things shake out um, that that one works with, you know, a, a number of other projects in order to uh, continue paying the bills. So that meant that, you know, I, if, if I had said at that point, okay, I've got this this body of work. That maybe not that many people have caught up with. I am now going to devote the next four years to helping it somehow get attention, but I didn't do that. I just continued taking other jobs because that's what necessity dictated. Um, so I am, you know, there's a part of me that goes, "Oh, it's too many people to know about my stuff," but then there's another part of me that goes. I am extremely fortunate that I, I have these other avenues to pursue that allows me to continue surviving and subsidizing my ability to do my own stuff when there's time to do it. You know, like in the, in the nineties, I did this album Slago, which I, I think it might be like if, if somebody says, okay, of your 40 albums or however many the hell albums I've done at this point, what, where do you think I should start? Um, I'll often suggest Sluggo because I think it's a you know, it in, in one kind of neat package kind of presents a lot of my interests in a way that it is fairly accessible um, and also I think that my writing was in a, in, in a really good spot at that time, um, but I I remember that it took a really long time to get that album done because I was on the road with Steve Vai. Um, and so I would, I would come home from tour, and, and he was, you know, he was really hitting the pavement hard. There was there was a lot of touring going on, and I would come home for a couple of weeks and and chip away at Sluggo a little bit more and do a little bit more tracking, or if it was later in the process, do do some mixing. And then it, it turned out that it, it, I wasn't that happy with the, with the mix. That we had done, and there was a, a limited amount of time to meet certain production deadlines, or at least our self-imposed deadlines. And the and the final mix ended up being a bit rushed. So years and years later, we ended up doing a remix of it that is you know, I'm completely happy with. And we did a, you know, a really nice sort of special edition package. So that was one instance of of me saying you know I want to I want to care for this aspect of my catalog a, a little more. Uh, with, with a little more in, intensive attention, and uh, and really get this album sounding the way I want it to sound, but you know, it's the, the again scheduling and budgeting don't always allow for uh, the time to like go back into one's catalog and and make sure that it's curated precisely the way you want. In some ways, you have to just accept that your catalog is what it is, and even though you might make different choices like this this year. Is the the thirtieth anniversary of my debut record, uh, which is uh, which is called Hat, and uh, I'm this weekend, I'm actually going to uh, Chapel Hill, uh, North Carolina, to to play a solo performance at uh, at a of a festival called Prague Day. Uh, I'm forgot to mention that when you when you said what do you got coming? This is on the immediate horizon, and <laughs> in, in in six days from now, I'm I'm flying to North Carolina to play at this festival and do a solo performance. Uh, which I don't do very often, you know usually I have a, a band to hide behind. Um, and, and in this instance, I'm, I want to honor the, the fact that this album happened 30 years ago and, and you know looking at the, the rest of my year, I, I see that this is like my one opportunity to specifically address that fact. So I'll be doing a portion of, of that show, uh, a, a medley of eight songs f- from the album Hat uh, that will you know be my way of saying this thing happened 30 years ago. This year, Uh, so that's one way of bringing a little bit of attention to this corner of of my discography, but but you know what you say about people can come to an artist from from a variety of different uh, angles. It's. I think that that's great, you know. I, I and and again, I look back and and feel nothing but fortunate that some people might think of me as, oh yeah, I, I saw you in 1988 with Zappa, and you were just this kid. I didn't know who you were, what you were doing there. But that's when I first found out about you. Or you're the guy with the super big hat that was running around with Steve Vai playing the Attitude song. Or yeah, I saw you with Death Clock. You know, on you know, all these very different kind of situations that I found myself in. And, you know, I don't want to be a guy who gets, uh, you know, persnickety about the fact that, yeah, but how come you never heard my my album, "Wooden Smoke, you know? It, <laughs> right, right, right. It's, it's like, I, I, because they found me through Frank or Steve or, or Death Clock or Devin or Satriani or any of these, you know, other uh, situations I've been involved with, that you know, increases the likelihood exponentially that they will eventually find their way to, to my solo catalog. And that's turned out to be the, the case. You know, I, I'd say probably 90 to 92.6% of the people who are, are into my music are into my music because they found out about me through another artist that I played with, probably even a larger percentage. And I can only be grateful for that. Absolutely. I can, I can dig it
0: you know, one of the things that happened, uh, during COVID actually, uh, uh a buddy of mine was trying to, uh, a guy who's actually a the booking agent guy who also does some management stuff and whatnot. He's like, you know, I'm seeing your numbers on Spotify. And you know, the problem is so over the years, I'm sure you're the same way. It's like, well, how do I differentiate all of my different recordings? Well, I, I called all the lineups different. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's like Greg Hawk and the tone controls was this lineup with these guys who did this and this and this and Greg Hawk and this was that. And then how was I to know that in the digital age, that all of those would be categorized as separate
1: artists. They'd be so your, your catalog would get segregated. Yeah,
0: exactly. And then I find, you know, my latest aggregation with my son and with uh, Toby on the organ, um, that's Cock Marshall Trio, but it's not under my name. So the amount of people finding it are way less than all the other stuff that's under my name. So then he, you know, even though we haven't done it yet to that stuff, but he went in and we got the rights back to my entire catalog. And my wife's a graphic designer who did most of my cover art. Anyway, we had to redo all of the artwork to just say my name. And then, and so now it's all there. And now the numbers are going way up because they're all in the same place. So just, it's just odd the thing i mean it's a that's a happy ending story but now we're going to have to do the same thing with uh, you know with the latest trio but uh, yeah there's just different things that you know you have to kind of uh, weed through to figure out the best way to go forward to 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 increase the likelihood of people finding that stuff
1: Exactly. And, and and these are considerations you never thought you'd have to contend with them when you're building the catalog. You just thought, oh, this'll be cool. I'll I'll call it this. So this that's the name of this band. That's you know, and that's i it's the same thing with me. It's like I've got to me a Mike Keneally album and a Mike Keneally and Beer for Dolphins album or a Mike Keneally band album are all pretty much extensions of the same thing. Um, but yeah to, to spotify and and it's and there's a, there's a part of you that that I'm sure it gets stuck in your throat that you have to retool your catalog for this this uh, platform that is you know delivering you pennies on the dollar for your work right. exactly <laughs> but exactly correct welcome to now <laughs> yeah it's so funny because of course
0: how many followers you have in there how many how many listens and all that kind of stuff is all fodder for agents and promoters and so on and so forth. Well, hey, that's their, of course, their new way of being able to uh,
1: decipher whether they should involve you in something or not. But hey, that's, that's just the nature of the beast. I mean, I understand why a, a club owner needs some sort of metric to to consult. You know, it can't just oh, not, This guy sounds good. That's, you know, which is... <laughs> Fifty years ago, I think a lot more uh, decisions along those lines was made. Be- were made because of uh, oh, I think this sounds good, uh, and that's uh, no one can afford to do that anymore. Sadly, <laughs> right? You know, when you mentioned
0: Frank, I, I was wondering. You know, because obviously, I mean, I was a huge Frank Zappa fan. Well, I had, since I can remember. You know, as a matter of fact, when I would when I would uh, <laughs> start speaking with a rather unusual vocabulary at, at a young age. People are like, where are you learning these words? And unbeknownst to my parents, it was because I was listening to my sister's Frank Zappa records. <laughs> and oh, that's uh, great, it's a, a
1: fully charged <laughs> icing with Enzo, <utensil. laughs>
0: exactly. And so, you know, and I, I just was always a big fan of Frank's. But then, you know, even as I got older, and you know, the, YouTube comes around where you have access to all these old interviews and so on and so forth. You just realized. How right he was about so many things about music and the world in general, and um, but it's it's a strange thing. Like, I always wonder certain things. It's like you know, F- Frank would write these unbelievably complex songs, um, and magnificent, but all the jam parts, with rare exception, were all over one chord, and and that always that always was curious to me. Except for as we know making an improvisation interesting over one chord is, is actually quite difficult. And, and, and also Frank was what, you know, a dichotomy as well as, as, as much as he was, you know, Prague in many different sense of the way. And of course he had these classical influences and all you know, and jazz. He was a rootsy dude. I mean, you can hear that greasy <laughs> stuff that he liked to listen to from Johnny guitar Watson to, you know, you, you, you
1: know, on and on and on. You can, you can hear the grease, Absolutely. and uh, and what's interesting about him is I I believe that that's what he responded to, in even the more you know compositionally intricate stuff that that uh, excited him when he was developing. You know, I, I think he was the one who saw the, the connection between uh, Johnny Guitar Watson and Varez or you know, Stravinsky. It, it, it's it's like he was into uh, attitudinal stuff. And the and the, the way that attitude was conveyed it could be in a number of different ways it could be in, in you know in the way Johnny Guitar bent a string but it could also be in the in the way you know Webern would would compose these very astringent very uh, spatial uh, compositions that had you know zero uh, concern about how it was going to be received by the average listener and and I think it was that. Attitude was that sort of badassness that that Frank responded to first. Um, you know, just just the people who were doing exactly what they wanted to do without any um, concern for prettifying it. Um, and and I, I think that that is you know he uh, pretty neatly defines the the interstices between uh, you know the, the rhythm and blues aspect of that and the you know the, the modern uh, compositional aspect of that. Um, you know, you, you combine those things and Frank is what you end up with.
0: Right. So you know, I, I'm just curious as, to, as far as your perspective of being this, you know, prior to being involved with Frank, having perceptions of the music and maybe the man itself. And then the times you worked with him in the immediate aftermath of that. Now, in all these years retrospect, I'm, it's just interesting in your kind of your change or if they have changed your perspective on the man
1: and, and the music per se well i mean i uh, to address what what you were saying about the 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 single chord solo uh, aspect and there's i think some people found that uh, you know possibly tiresome uh, that they wished that that frank put the same amount of compositional rigor into his solo backings that he would put into the rest of the song and and i i think that that in in frank's mind he was you know he was always about composition is weights and balances. So if 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 he has spent a song uh, you know dealing w- with all this very intricate material when when it gets to the solo section and and it's time for him to invent something on the spot, he he approached the guitar as a compositional tool in those moments and he never, you know, made any bones about the fact that he was not a jazz musician and he certainly wasn't a bebop musician who could uh, you know solo fluently over many chords with with many characters in the chord name uh you know that that wasn't his his bag um where he was interested in was providing himself a a uh, a smooth canvas uh to to play with rhythms as much as melodies uh which is also why you know the vast majority of his solo backings are in 4-4 Although you know, if you've got say Vinnie Colaiuta on drums, the meaning of four four becomes right. academic.
0: <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh,
1: but you know, his his delight during those solo sections was uh, how to play with time, how to decorate that time, and and how to uh, you know, string together unusual, irregular rhythms improvisationally over the, uh, something of a static backdrop, and it it, it takes some. Uh, listening uh, and some conditioning to to put your ear in the place where Frank was, and I think uh, when he put out "Shut Up and Play Your Guitar," which was three records of nothing but guitar solos excerpted from from longer pieces, I think uh, at that point that was when it started to become more clear to some people. You know, for some people, that was just where they got off the bus uh, in terms of Frank as a guitar player, and I do remember. <laughs> somebody uh, I can't remember what his name was but the, a, a guy a very talented and very uh, very smart ass guy uh, did a song called Frankie's in town um, where he did an extremely uh, you'd have to say a, a, a diligently detailed uh, takeoff and and cut down of, of Frank's uh, compositional tendencies and and just it, you'd ha- he, he had to love Frank in order to to nail right. him so hard uh, <laughs> because he's you know he's got all the textures he's got all the orchestration and then at, at one point he says something like uh, se- says what he can to make kids laugh then he plays his guitar for an hour and and, uh, <laughs> and then he sticks in the sound of an entire audience going oh no you know, was, I remember feeling that at times sitting in the audience uh, in the late 1980 tour uh, you know, they would do a song and then somebody would come out and hand Frank a guitar and you would know that that was going to be the beginning of, of his solo and that it could go on for a while and, and if you were the, the, the type of listener who was just waiting for the next novelty tune or the next you know stringently uh, disciplined and orchestrated and rehearsed uh, you know unison melody that maybe this would be the time that you would you would you know piss off to the lobby for a beer because you might not be interested in hearing Frank searching for nine minutes, which is it, he again, made no bones about the fact that that's exactly what he was doing. and And he said, uh, you know mine is the only uh, sort of uh, world class, we'll say, or you know, internationally known touring act on this level where i will take that chance in front of you of completely improvising a solo and it's not about learned licks and it's it's not about trying to be impressive it's literally about trying to compose something valuable uh, on stage in front of your eyes and ears and and he himself was was pretty uh cynical about his success rate he would he would say you know maybe one out of ten of these solos is something that i would ever want to hear again and the "Shut Up and Play Your Guitar" album would be a collection of those times where he th- believed that he, you know, he succeeded. But that would be backed up by and you know, dozens and dozens of other attempts made where he wouldn't have felt that it was anything worth worth listening to. So you could say, was that was that uh, was that respectful of of the listener for him to go out and, and take these chances, knowing that even by his own. Uh, standards that that the the attempt was a failure um, to me i think that that it was it was brave and also as somebody who loved uh, frank and loved frank's playing i am just as interested in hearing those instances where he feels like he, he didn't deliver as those instances where he feels that he did because to you know, similarly to somebody like, you know, Holdsworth, who was convinced that he never once played anything that anybody had any business listening to, and the rest of us are just agog. Uh, it, it, I, I, similarly, that anytime I hear Frank playing the guitar, I want to hear it because I loved his phrasing, I loved his ideas, I loved his, uh, his bravery, and I, 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 loved the the sound of the attempt, and I also loved the you know the sound where he clearly you know locks into a zone where you know it's it you just have to say it's it's unequivocally successful that that he managed to compose something in the spot, and to him a composition wasn't just music; it was also you know wrestling with the energies in the room uh the 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 interaction between the band members uh, and then the, the the rhythmic interaction between uh the drums and the guitar which is really kind of where a lot of the the interest lies um and and it, if he had to like contend with a bunch of crazy chord changes as well it's it that's that's not that wasn't his interest it, you know at at the very best the the the, the most that that he could succeed in, in that realm would be oh look how clever, <laughs> you know and right and, right right. And Frank wasn't interested in, in cleverness. He wasn't interested in like ticking off boxes. Oh oh wow okay so he negotiated that chord change successfully. Oh good, he landed on the right <laughs> note at the downbeat. You know that that's 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 not where he was at. Uh, it 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 really was a, a different approach to music making. Um, not that he didn't have success for. For people who did, you know, that kind of—I mean, he, he respect—I should say he, you know, he had he had respect for, for people who could do that, but he was also a little bit cynical about jazz, even though he had jazz musicians in the band. Um, like I, I remember one time he, we were doing this song called uh, "Big Swifty" in rehearsal, and I was very new to the group, and there was this succession of descending. Uh, it's just de- descending chromatically, a half step every bar, uh, descending augmented chords. So you know, every bar, you, you you don't want to just sound like you're playing in this in this scale. And go down a half step, and go down another half step, and go down another half step. You got to find more savvy ways to to navigate it. And at age 25, I didn't have any of that stuff in my quiver. I didn't have you know, any of those tools. So the, the the most I could think to do when he pointed at me to play a solo unexpectedly, because he had never done that before in that tune, uh, and you never knew when you were going to get pointed at during a solo section, that changed every night. You know, you had to be on your guard because you either... you know, Generally, when you thought you might get pointed at is when you wouldn't, and when you were certain that you wouldn't get pointed at, that's when you would, and you would have ah! to you <laughs> would have to invent something on in the spot. And there were several tracks in the show where it, it was a true improvisation in the middle section. Anything could happen. And he would just do his conducting thing on the spot. And, and he would you know, use any number of strategies to create a, a spontaneous piece of music. And if you got pointed at, then you'd have to figure out something to do that worked. And I remember during this big Swifty thing him pointing at me and the only thing i can do was to was to play an entirely abstract solo uh something that ignored the fact that there was any kind of harmonic background (laughs) (laughs) and then then after the after that song and we took a break and i went to him and i said yeah i'm 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 sorry I, i i'm you know i'm not that kind of a jazz player who could improvise fluently in in a situation like that and he said I would worry if I would have worried if you could. <laughs> you know, he, <laughs> you know, he said, "I liked that solo." You know, it's like he was—he was more interested in in somebody completely stepping off the page. So, uh, the, he, you know, he's just a different kind of guy.
0: <laughs> we interrupt this regularly scheduled gristle-infested conversation to give a special shout out to our friends at Fishman Transducers, makers of the Greg Koch Signature Fluence Gristle Tone Pickup Set. Can you dig that? And our friends at Wildwood Guitars of Louisville, Colorado, bringing the heat in the shadow of the Rocky Mountains.
1: I, I, and to address another uh, part of that question, you know, to to look back on his his work now after all these years, because I was so young when I got in his band, and uh, I was so uh, you know awestruck and you know and hero worshipful uh that I, I and it was also my first pro gig of any kind so for me to suddenly step out of complete nowheresville into the band of, of my you know musical idol was unbelievable mind-blowing and in some ways kind of unsettling and and now here we are 34 years later and and i i still find i love his music uh i i I find new things in it every time I return to it, which is one reason I feel so grateful to be playing in the Zappa band now uh, with the sort of official imprimatur of the, of the Zappa Trust and and, and playing with uh, you know, guys that I love who uh, also played in the bands. You know, to be able to return to playing this, this music with Robert Martin and Scott Tunis, who were in the band with me in 1988. Uh, and also to play with Ray White, who I had never played with before, but who is just a phenomenon, force of nature, uh, who sounds exactly vocally the way he did in 1976, uh, <laughs> um, is, uh, is, is blissful. You know, I'm, I, I'm very, very fortunate. And you know, inevitably, every time you go back and listen to something that you were obsessed with as a teenager, uh, and then decades later you listen to it again, you hear things you never heard before. And, and it's it's you, you either think oh good I actually did have the taste when I was a kid and this music actually is good and now there's all these other elements to it that that I, I I wasn't able to plumb back then that now I have the tools and the knowledge and the experience to really realize what these people were doing and then on the you know the other side of the coin is you might listen to something that you once thought was absolutely incredible and realize nope <laughs> 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 but um, i'm i'm you know as i'm just as much of a nostalgia hound as anybody and i like you know comfort food for the ears and i i spend a lot of time in the car listening to music that i listened to you know 40 50 years ago and i'm uh I'm, i find it uh, gratifying that most of it still it even sounds better to me now i was like oh wow good that stuff actually was valid but i wasn't out of my mind <laughs>
0: Well, kind of switch gears uh, to switch gears a little bit. You know, I think about um, you know you're doing all these various different gigs, and your music itself is very complex. And I'm just wondering um, what you do to maintain this repertoire of uh, you know complex unison lines, arrangements, and so on and so forth. When you're are you someone who has a a pretty excellent memory in terms of being able to, with a few tweaks, remember all these sophisticated parts that you're, that you've played in the past that you may be called on to do in the future. Are you someone that has to take it bit by bit and like completely devoid yourself, like kind of scrub, not obviously completely, but kind of scrub the decks and then learn what you need to learn at that particular point in time for the next thing you're doing.
1: Well, definitely. I, I don't have the, the, uh, the luxury of, of being able to retain, Everything, you know, like I, I could not play for you right at this moment, 90% or more of the music that I've played over the last 40 years without brushing up on it. But I, I do find, uh, you know, as, as any experienced player finds, that the, that the muscles do retain a lot of the stuff. Uh, and that once I, you know, I sort of push off the shore, <laughs> that that the uh, that that the muscles will do a lot of the, the remaining work, but it, it obviously needs tending and and, uh, and concerted tender care to to make sure that w- what the muscles are remembering aren't diluted. Uh, and, and also, uh, I'll find that uh, this kind of goes to you know returning to music from one's past and one's youth. Uh, stuff that I thought I knew 30, 40 years ago, I really didn't. Uh, and especially with Zappa music, where the the the, the melodies are so intervallically uh, obtuse, uh, and there's a lot of different ways one can approach this on a fretboard. Um, you know, it's, it's the difference between guitar and keyboard. You can only play. Uh, any given note in one place on a keyboard it kind of makes your choice easy uh on a guitar you have anywhere from four to six different places that you can play on a given note um and uh, and it, it means that there's a lot of different choices that one has to make in order to execute crazy melody lines um and at, at the time that i was playing it with frank uh i was very very young i wasn't i was a hobbyist guitar player at best without any the guitar instruction in my life the only uh instrument i ever had any uh, instruction on was the organ so i was trained as a keyboardist and i taught myself guitar for fun and i often would would teach myself zappa tunes because they challenged me and i loved them and, and i knew that my musicianship would improve as a result so i was I was doing job preparation for being in Frank's band without even realizing it. But I was I was doing it as an untrained guitarist, which is that a lot of the a lot of the choices that I made, where to play certain parts, were not uh, ergonomically the, the best choice I could have made. I was uh, in some ways making things harder for myself, even though what I was really doing was kind of. Uh, doing things a bit lazily in that uh, I would find, oh, I can play this melody on these frets on this string. That'll do. And then I'll, I'll move on to the next case without because I hadn't played guitar for very long or, or uh, very intensively. I, I didn't realize, well, if I just do this, if I do this thing here, I can do this. Little sweep thing from a little block, and all of a sudden the the melody sings in a completely different way. So now that I'm in the Zappa band and I'm, I I have this, uh, you know, I, I consider it a, a sort of a blessed opportunity to learn through a bunch of music that I played when I was very inexperienced. I, I can now bring you know uh, a lot more to, to bear with, with figuring out how to uh, to map out the stuff on the fretboard in a way that allows the, the melody to to sing a bit more, and also to uh, accommodate the, 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 what I now know as my style—you know, the, the the way my fingers like to go—as opposed to trying to force them to do some other thing that maybe momentarily made sense to me 34 years ago, but was actually just, you know, uh, an ill-considered choice made in, in the heat of of battle, or just like wanting to move on to the next passage. Uh, and, I, and now I can take more time and realize geez if I take if I play this a on the the, on the, the 14th thread of the g string rather than the uh, the tenth thread of the b string my whole life has just changed for the better <laughs> right. right 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 uh, it's, it's it's and you know Frank's music is so intricate and so detailed and has just you know obviously endless opportunities to to make those kind of new choices and new things and and just have, have the music uh, be a little more eloquent uh, as when it's coming out of your fingers. So it's, it's been great, great fun to to revisit the songs.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask you about that because there's, um, you know, obviously the longer you play, you, you, you figure out new ways to do things, but it's, it's like, it's kind of a, for for men it's a double-edged sword because they find that as they get older, they can't do, Physically, what they used to do when they were younger. I myself, I, I'm able to do more because I, I, I've actually worked on ways that you know to alleviate effort and stress. You know what I mean? Because you're, you're a lot of times you're playing way, you know, wasting valuable energy by doing any number of different things with your hands. Uh, and then as you get older, you realize well, you know, no, you don't have to do that. So I was just curious—is it, it you know? Can you kind of answer the question in just in terms of yeah, now I know better. As a as a player, that when I reapproach this music, that I can not be as physically vexed in doing it, and have found different shortcuts or not hacks, if you will, but stuff like that, to just make executing the music not as uh, difficult as it once was.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think. Uh... <sighs> Having spent more time playing the songs, hearing the songs, thinking about the songs, and you you get to get a little more of a of a of a second uh, sense about uh, about what what's the what needs to happen physically to make these melodies pop the way you know they should. To, to I think it's it's becoming a little more in tune with, with the essence of, of a piece of music and a little more in tune with the intention of the, of the composer. So with Frank, I, th- I feel like, you know, the, the, his, his, the entirety, the, the depth of his well of, of creation is, is, is too much for anybody to get the full picture uh, other than him. But, but, I do feel like as time goes on that I understand more and more how he wanted his stuff to to sing and and to to be delivered and to be heard and and so the more you you know the music and the know you more you the more you know your instrument the the more possible it becomes to just sort of in in a in a in a second nature way, uh, arrive at the right choices to make the, the the melodies come out the way they should, and and not a uh, you know a struggle. You don't want it to sound like a struggle. You want it to sound like something that's flowing, and and I think that you the more you do it, the more time you spend, you know, the decades under your belt, the the more possible it is to just allow the stuff to flow, and that's just a you know a question of experience and time and and honing your technique. Uh, getting to the, getting to that point, which is always the the desirable you know thing, where you kind of just look at the notes on the fretboard and they and they come out without having to really you know, think about what the execution of the steps required to execute. Once you you know, because you don't have time <laughs> to uh, to be conscious of every step of the execution, you you have to have that sort of agreement with your limbs that 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 they're just going to know what to do when it's time to do them. And, you know, a a stringed instrument is, is a different, that is, is in order to, to cleanly produce one note on an, on a guitar, both of your hands need to be in, in perfect uh, concert with one another, as opposed to a keyboard where all you got to do is go, (laughs) and there it is, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to, to, uh, uh, Make that one single eloquent note happen on a piano than it is on a guitar, where your left and your right hands better be, you know, right in the same place at the same time. So it, 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 uh, a zap melody is just a, an endless uh, parade <laughs> of these opportunities to screw up, but uh, but it, it's also you know it's so satisfying when you do you know, spend the time and and just chip away at it and uh and you know it's just fun it's fun. when when you get to a point where you really all you really have to do is look at the fretboard and the melody comes out there's there's no substitute for that feeling you know it's and, and so it's it's been it's been great to return to that music and and uh just feel a little bit more that i i deserve to be playing these songs it's 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 interesting because. You know when i was twenty five years old and and in Frank's band, I probably thought that i was i was you know more hot stuff than I do now <laughs> you know because <laughs> there's no there's no uh there's no substitute for you know learning things uh to you know realize how much you don't know you know it's it's only only when you don't know anything that you think you know at all <laughs> right
0: <laughs> you know I was curious as you were describing you know. Playing these complex parts and remembering them and executing them and so on and so forth. I'm curious as to, you know, when you're like Frank, back at Frank's band, and how much this affects you with your current aggregations and things that you're involved with is that when you have music that's complex and and there's many different parts that people have to play as written, if you will. Uh, I'm sure Frank seemed to me as someone who had like, a recipe. If I rehearse my guys for X amount of time, uh, the likelihood of them being consistent with the performance of that song. Once we hit the road is X, you know, and I'm, and I'm wondering if, if you approach things the same way and to that end, do you find that it's, uh, difficult because, you know, as we discussed earlier, we're all flawed human beings. Is is it hard to keep musicians, uh, that have the, I don't want to say work ethic, but I, I guess I will say work ethic, to to, ha- to to love and respect the music enough to go beyond just the fact that it's obviously a paycheck, which of course, most of people at, at this particular level, it's not that, but I'm saying that give it their all all the time to reduce the the probability of the foobar on these, you know what I mean? These potentially uh, slippery areas. And to that end, what are what were Frank's and maybe what are your ways to curb that? If you're on the road and it's like, hey, so and so just keeps on dropping this particular tune in such a way, is it the hammer or is it the cookie? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's it it it, it, it might just be. Uh, let's 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 not do that tune if if it, if it turns out that that a given song is not in the wheelhouse of of this particular uh, group of musicians. I would just as soon play something else because I don't, I don't, uh, I, I, I like changing things up you know, in terms of my own band, I, I liked the, the, I was definitely, um, you know, I was, I was schooled in the Zappa way of doing things, which is every night should be a different set of music. You know, and and, and I, I really like that. I, I like, especially knowing that there's a certain type of listener who wants to buy tickets to every show. Um, you know, de- de- depending on the situation, you know, I, I play with a lot of bands who do essentially the, the same show from night to night. Devin Townsend, you know, his stuff is, is so uh, in, incredibly detailed and orchestrated and, and meant to, to uh, produce a very specific effect. And, you know, it, it's, it's essential that you just keep hammering away at the, at the same show every night in order to get what he's after, uh, project, uh, sometimes it's, it's just about logistics. There's only time prior to a tour to, you know, rehearse and and make sure that you have ready to go a night's worth of music. And, and then you just, and then if, if, if it turns out that there's, that there's, uh, you know, something that's not happening for some reason, <laughs> For me, the struggle is always to remember at the end of the show what went wrong halfway through. (laughs) And and always at the end of the show, there's a combination of you know adrenaline and and uh, you know a, a desire to both uh, escape and celebrate whatever just happened, um, and, and it, it, it never feels like the time to go. And you, you motherfucker! You know, if there's something that is consistently going wrong, uh, then. You know, I'm definitely more of a cookie than a hammer guy. It's 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 about finding the right way to say on the bus, hey, you know, this, we should probably take a look at the next sound check at this one thing that I just, uh, you know, I'm finally remember to remembering now to say something about it after hearing it wrong 17 times in a row. Right, 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 right. Um, but you know, it's it's I'm I'm not the the type of, of guy who ever gets upset at somebody. Uh, you know doing some small bit of misexecution on a, on a piece of music because we are just humans and i understand that the stuff is is really complex and you know the the guys that are in my band i'm just i'm endlessly grateful to them because as you say it's not a paycheck it's it's at this point it's a family it's a love thing uh and, and i'm just grateful that they have you know it's, uh, for guys like you know brian beller and joe travers who and who've been in my band for for decades and you know and rick musalem is is you know joined just a, a few uh, scant few years after they did and then griff peters who is a beautiful player and 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 he has also put in the time and, and it's purely because of, of our friendship it's and and because it, it, it means something to them to to have the opportunity to play this kind of music which is so different from all the other stuff they do um, you know like uh, Brian Beller is has is plays with with the aristocrats and certainly there's a lot a lot of opportunity for for flights of fancy and improvised things there but um, And but and but he also is still playing with Satriani and they're ready to getting ready to go on the road. And and it's these are these are artists that are are really wanting to you know just drill things to have a specific effect musically. Um, And it's probably you know, they probably prefer that one song sounds pretty much the same from night to night, whereas I am happy if any given song of mine sounds completely different every time we approach it. Uh, I'm, I I I look at the compositions as just you know step one of, and certainly the recorded versions are are one thing. And I never I'm not interested in trying to replicate the way a record sounds on stage. You know I'm I definitely adhere more to the you know. the the, the coltrane approach uh, than i do the uh you know the robbie williams approach (laughs) 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 is is very specifically orchestrated and tooled to sound the same from night to night i i I really am like my my guiding uh principle as a player is that every time I, i i play something on the guitar especially on a on a, in an improvised section is i i want to play something that i've never even heard before much less played before i'm 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 very much always trying to find that elusive combination of of tones and rhythms and energies that that you know produce an effect that just makes me feel the way i've never felt um, and, and, and so that's what I'm after. I'm after like, uh, even though obviously the, the material is, is very intricate and it's very composed and it required a lot of rehearsal to get it to a certain point. I'm, I'm almost paradoxically trying to find a way to still make it be a completely new thing every time it's played. So it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm blissed out and grateful that I have you know, gathered around me a, a group of players who, uh, understand you know my peculiarities in that way and and it 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 took years uh to to temper it in a in a certain way you know it's like the, the first two shows that brian beller played with me back in 1993 i didn't warn him during rehearsal that anything could potentially happen on stage that isn't something that we've discussed or prepared and uh and he was just in a state of horror the whole time because once he realized that okay I might improvise a total introduction or outroduction or I might you know in, increase the length of a verse I might do, do any number of things that we, that haven't been discussed beforehand and, and and he was very young at that point and hadn't experienced that approach to music making but now he understands me you know almost better than anybody does yeah it's so it's it's that that's something that only comes from years and years spent you know hammering away at it together so i'm i'm very grateful in that way.
0: Brian Bellers fantastic. Yeah. I, I first i first met Brian back in when he was uh when he was in the uh, uh Fender world when he was i think he ran SWR if i'm not mistaken. I think that it, was it, his thing for a hot minute. Yeah,
1: you you uh you you experienced him in in, in corporate mode. Yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah, i just I, I always thought it was amazing how exponentially more happy he was the moment he shed that Corporate yep. thing. Mm-hmm. He was just—he was like yeah. the happiest guy in the world, and just an amazing player. I mean, you know, I—I I love Brian because he's one of those guys that you know obviously can do co- complex-wise anything you ask him. But when it's time, when it's greasy time, he's all okay. about it.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I mean his the the totality of what, of what he's able to uh, execute and and to do it seemingly effortlessly. He's. Uh, He's just a, a a phenomenon. Yeah, I love him.
0: He's a good one.
1: Yeah, good egg, indeed.
0: So, did you have fun out at the uh, Paul Gilbert thing? That was that was good times. That was you know there was a lot of guys I and people there I had never had a chance to kind of hang with
1: before. And that was just that was just good clean fun. It absolutely was. It, it, I mean, both the instructors and the uh, and the, uh, the campers is that the is that the right terminology? I, I, th- I think so. Yeah, okay. um, yeah. It was everybody uh, was was fantastic, and uh, and you know the the uh, the, the what was uh, especially fun and uh, and a, and a good. Good uh, sobering challenge for me was the 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 way we ended up finding ourselves laid out on stage, and the fact that when we you know inevitably these the situation where you've got uh, you know somewhere between nine and three hundred guitar players sharing a stage, it's it's time to do the uh, the round robin of soloing, and uh, and and. the way we were laid out, laid out, laid out on stage meant that my solo always came right after yours <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and th- having to play right after you is, is, is one of the, the most humbling things any guitarist can experience much, much less one like myself, whose approach to impro- improvising is throw one's hands at the guitar and hope for the best. Um, uh, but you, every single time you took a solo, it it, it absolutely uh, it inspired me. And you know, every time I, I had to, you know, start note one of my solo, I was uh, conscious of the fact that you had just you know sculpted this this beautiful uh, living thing that I, I wanted to not uh, deflate uh, the, the all of the air in the room. Uh, and and sort of you know pick up the gauntlet and, and try to do something that was at least reasonably entertaining. It, it, oh, it was
0: it, uh, they were majestic. I enjoyed listening to every note you played. It was glorious. Oh well, I, I really appreciate that and and you know that the, that feeling is completely mutual. Oh well, thank you sir. I appreciate that. Coming from you it's high praise.
1: <laughs> but it was great. Enjoy- it was great fun. Oh, and you know and and certainly uh you know everybody was brilliant uh, but I I think that the specific you know the the flavor of, of the energy of that event certainly uh you know trickled down from the 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 wondrousness that is paul gilbert you know he, he he i i just love him I, mean, I i was i was very happy to be a part of that situation i i hope there's more
0: yeah you know i i in all of the years of you know naming and just you know doing what we do i've never crossed paths with paul and and so that was my first time at, meeting him, hanging with him, you know, playing, actually really hearing him play my, I mean, I would hear him back in the day, you know, and, and do the shred stuff. And I was like, man, this guy's great. But you know, that really wasn't my cup of tea. And then, um, uh, the guy that runs Reverend guitars, uh, Ken Haas is like the biggest Paul Gilbert fan. And we've been on some road trips together. He's like, check this stuff out. And he started playing me this Paul Gilbert stuff, which I would have never thought in a million years that Paul Gilbert did this stuff. And I just really, you know took away from that whole thing is that this guy is you know he's a searcher you know it's like oh i don't know how to play this style well i think that'll be my next project you know and just the, the idea of just immersing himself in you know uh in music that he didn't know to just constantly get better on the instrument and he's just he, he just drips enthusiasm and and, oh, uh, he's, he's, and
1: his, yeah his his energy is just uh is is is, is like just this childlike uh, love of, of of music and uh, this voracious appetite for for more and more learning more and more uh and uh and but but his you know his energy is so is so gentle and and uh and supportive and uh, and and it really was a nice uh you know he just set the tone in a beautiful way for that that whole experience and, and uh and it's it's also fun because he and Andy Timmons and I also we all share uh, this love for the the music of, of Todd Rundgren, uh, especially you know just like I, I think Paul especially loves not necessarily the, the the more proggy leanings of Todd, but just those the the power pop you know uh, the the just like the the, the perfect pop confection, uh, which I think you know you can hear that in 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 some of the Mr Big stuff you know certainly the hits. Uh, but but there's, you know, no matter how, uh, you know, daunting and ferocious uh, Paul's chops are, there's that love of melody that that just, you know, all and sings through it. He's it's, it, it's just great. Yeah, absolutely. Well,
0: listen, my friend, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. It was fascinating as I knew it would be.
1: Thank you for asking. The- it was most enjoyable. A nice way to, to, to get a week started, to get this mon- Monday off and
0: Hopefully, we will cross paths sooner than later at some musical get-together of a sort.
1: Yes, I I share that wish.
0: Excellent, my friend. Will you take care of yourself? Great to see you, and uh, hope to see you soon, and thanks again.
1: Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. All
0: right, Mike, take it easy.
1: Take care. Talk to you later.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. We absolutely appreciate you caring and checking out these podcasts. We certainly have a good time doing them. Again, it's brought to you by our friends at Wildwood Guitars in Louisville, Colorado. Don't be afraid to go to wildwoodguitars.com, check out what they have going on. I actually go there every night and visit their new arrivals page. It's kind of a kind of an illness, really. And of course, our friends at Fishman Transducers, Fishman.com, making all the greatest accoutrements for your stringed instruments. Stay tuned for more. Greg Koch here. Thanks so much for tuning in.